0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, these days, there's a lot of discussion about mental health, and there's a recognition it's something that impacts people's work lives. So it's obviously something organizations need to think about. My guest today, though, believes there's more to it, though, and that you have to add a generational dimension to this. In particular, she thinks that Gen Z or Gen Z needs more support and different kinds of support than perhaps was true with earlier generations. Her name is Dr. Sarah Adler, and she's a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at Stanford University, and she's also the CEO and founder of Wave Life. Now, that's a mental health platform for Generation Z. I had a really interesting discussion with Sarah about the generation as a whole, about their concerns, and about why it is to the benefit of organizations to understand this generation and figure out how to support them and support their mental health. Please stay with us to hear it. employers support the mental health of Generation Z. To talk about that, I'm joined by Dr. Sarah Adler, Clinical Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Stanford University and the CEO and founder of Wave Health. Sarah, thank you so
0: much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: You know, this is an interesting subject. I've talked about mental health or had guests on mental health several times recently. Uh, You've a slightly different perspective, but I'm interested in your own career too. How did you get interested in this area and end up specializing in this?
0: So I, I have a sort of an interesting career path. I actually started my career in finance. And so I was, I'm was i a late stage career psychologist. I went back to grad school at age 29. Um, but interestingly, those two things intersect because I am in love with data and how we can use data to inform um, treatments that work and disseminate them to as many people as possible. Ultimately, uh, this is a population, age group 15 through 26, 27, that has always been my clinical jam. It's always been who I've treated as a clinical psychologist. Um, Um, But ultimately, I got very, very passionate about the inequities in who actually gets high-quality treatment. And this was at my time at Stanford um, as a postdoctoral fellow. I really began to see that the people who um, have access to high-quality evidence-based care generally tend to look like me, white women, uh, in in higher, middle to higher socioeconomic status. And so um, it really became a passion for me to kind of figure out how do we get high-quality mental health care into as many hands as possible.
1: Interesting. Let's put mental health into kind of a big picture uh, a big picture frame. I, I was trying to think about how to ask this, because one thing is to say, what's the state of mental health and how's that impacting the workplace? And the other is to say, what's the state of the workplace and what's that doing to mental health? I mean, which is the relevant question here?
0: Totally. I love that question so much. And it's so much better than the question of why are my Gen Z employees so awful? So... <laughs> Thank you so much for framing it or framing it in that sort of chicken and egg question. I think it's really interesting because the state of mental health right now um, has definitely shifted over the past 15 years since I've been doing this. And what we are seeing is through the advent um, of social media, to its credit or to its detriment, there is a, suddenly a discussion around mental health that just didn't exist 15 years ago. So stigma is on the decline, although not erased entirely. And really the folks who are at the forefront of that are this generation, Generation Z, the na- digital natives, who are suddenly have access to a language and a taxonomy around mental health that just didn't exist before. And everyone's talking about it. And on top of that, they're really, um, this is a generation that really views mental health as not um, a luxury good or something that everyone can afford, but they look at it as something that's paramount to their emotional well-being. And so the conversation is happening. They're looking at it more of as a commodity, as something that they deserve um, to have access to. And that's actually really transformed a shift, not only in how Gen Z looks at mental health, but what's actually happening in the workplace.
1: Well, let's put this in perspective. Do you think this generation talks about it more or do you think they are suffering from more anxiety or anything else in the mental health?
0: I think it's both. That's another fabulous question. It is absolutely both. This is a generation I like to sort of lovingly call the misery generation. This is a generation of folks who um, really are oversaturated with all the bad things that are happening in the world constantly because of their um, interactions with their phone. They're constantly barraged with news media. They're also in um, a global uh, global, in the middle of being in the middle of a global pandemic. They also are struggling with climate change and all of the mistakes that our generations have made and now are going to be falling on their shoulders. So this really, truly is a generation that because of their digital nativeness is suffering more than generations that have come before. And on top of it, they're also talking about it. So I do think it's actually a combination of both things. I kind of think of it as, um, uh, I, sometimes I, I, I Loosely say that this is a generation that is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, almost in in, in entirety, because of the constant barrage of information they receive, because of the access to horrible information that they're seeing over and over and over again, Um, and because they have this sort of foreshortened sense of future um, in terms of climate change, geopolitical, um, and other sort of things that are happening in in the country, let alone um, globally. Okay, I'm
1: not disagreeing that this is uh, impacting a lot of people, but I say this is a parent of a Gen Z, Gen Z, it's not everybody, right? It's some yeah. portion of this generation. Luckily, some of us have avoided it or some portion of the generation has avoided it. I'm asking this in terms of employment. If this is the picture that's being painted of this generation, is it doing them any favors? Uh, I sometimes well, think you, you get like a lot of employers saying, well, this is problematic going in.
0: So I actually don't think of it as problematic or pathological. And I think it's a really, another really great point. I mean, I often say that if 90% of people struggle with their mental health in some point in their life, and that's actually the statistic, then how can it be considered abnormal? How can it be considered pathological? Really, what I think is happening is that Gen Z is discussing mental health as it sort of ebbs and flows in the waves of their everyday life in a way that it is really new. Yes, they are more distressed. Yes, they really actually are suffering. And um, labeling that, I think, empowers them. So I think, yes, our generation and millennials and the in the workforce, the managers are coming in and saying, they're talking about how miserable they are all the time they want this they want that they're asking questions this is happening this is happening I do think it's important to to sort of acknowledge really where they are and their own experience um, regardless of whether or not we necessarily agree with it or thinking it's do thinking think it's doing them any favors I do think though to your point um, a real attitude adjustment or a paradigm shift in terms of how we approach Gen Z in the workplace is is coming. It's a reckoning. This is the generation that um, in seven years is going to be 30% of the workforce. And so the reality is, is however we want to categorize it, label it, or acknowledge it, the demands and the, um, the the paradigm that they are coming with in terms of what they want from their workplace, we're going to have to reckon.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, Sarah, but there's a viral, uh, I guess it's TikTok video that's out there of the young woman saying, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I had to work all day and commute. This is horrible. I just saw that
0: the 40 hour work week. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what's your reaction to that? Because I don't blame her. However, it is the reality.
0: I think it goes back to your, your awesome first question, which is, it is, is there a workplace problem or is it a Gen Z problem? And I think, ultimately the answer is both I actually tend to think given my absolute love for this generation that we have a ton to learn from the way that they approach work now yes they are often labeled the entitled generation what I actually have to commute I actually have to work a full 40-hour work week but the reality is is when we really think about it those are kind of unrealistic expectations those of us who are working 40hour work weeks, we've learned how to manage our time within that. Are we all working 40? days it's, sometimes it's going to be a 50 hour work week. Sometimes it's more like 35. We all take out. So what does that really look like? So I kind of look at that meme and I do, I I, I laugh at it and I say, um, yes, this is sort of exactly the point, the fulcrum that we're in, where Gen Z has very different expectations of what the workplace should look like than what we're providing them.
1: Okay. So in your research, what are some examples you're seeing of frustrations on either side?
0: So I hear, I cannot tell you how often I hear, my Gen Z employees are unbelievably entitled. That's the biggest one I hear. They're unbelievably entitled. They whine constantly. They're constantly asking questions. They're complaining about inclusion. They are just like complainers. They're, they're, and communication is bad. They're way too dependent on technology. They're always on social media. So these are like some of the main complaints that I have. I also get a lot of complaints from um, more millennial managers who really do have a different different work ethic and a different ethos to say, it's sort of, a, you know, akin to your grandfather saying, I walked to school 20 miles in the snow and you're complaining about whatever you're complaining about. I mean, there is sort of that ethos that's coming too, is that millennials really did kind of get the short end of the stick and not speak up about work-life balance. Gen X and boomers, right? Exactly. And Gen X and boomers too. And now Gen Z has the audacity to actually talk about these things. And so they're looked at as entitled, but I also think it's sort of, you know, you could, you could put that um, same frame on hazing and sororities and fraternities. Well, just because we went through it, you should look, you should do it too. And Gen Z is kind of going, no, we're not going to do that.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, you know, if you're running an organization, you want to have the best workers of all ages, and obviously you're going to have younger workers in, what should you be thinking about when you set up? something to support them and to support managers who are working with them?
0: Absolutely. I think is really about um looking and evaluating management norms in general. I mean, the reality is most middle managers aren't actually trained to no. be managers, right? They're trained to be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like, I think oftentimes our inability to really manage or harness Gen Z's talent is more of a deficit in how we're training our managers in terms of things like proper expectation setting, repeatable, measurable processes. We know Gen Z is much more vocal about what's not working for them in, than previous generations have been. So this This is an opportunity for us to really assess our own sort of managerial strengths and weaknesses so that we can actually interact better because Gen Z employees just aren't going to take it the same way or they're going to complain or quit.
1: Well, it's interesting, sorry, because management, when we think about it, the old style management is kind of like military-like, right? Top down, right? And I don't think it works well with this generation.
0: I don't either. And I think the, the main thing that I tell people when I'm, when I'm consulting on how to communicate differently with Gen Z is first to really do an assessment. First of all, I sort of say, if you don't want to deal with Gen Z, like don't hire them, <laughs> like really. And, and that's not going to be a choice very, very soon. It's not going to be an option. But I do say if you're not ready to really actually make and implement these changes, be really careful. Assess culturally where your organization is and whether or not that this is the right workforce to sort of fuel it. And I think that that's sort of my my general hiring philosophy anyway, which is like, we really should be doing sort of cultural analysis of, is this person a good fit um, for this organization? And then having really clear expectations about what the job role and function is. I cannot tell you how many Um, managers I have had come to me complaining about their Gen Z employees. And I'm asking, well, what's your 30, 60, 90 plan um, to get your, to support your employees to get off on the right foot? What structural norms have you put into place to assess, to provide feedback, to contain um, a generation that may not have those skills, those communication or those sort of corporate understanding skills to actually support your teams for success? especially if you're dealing with a generation that is sort of um, disenfranchised and doesn't really want to work for companies that are for just a paycheck. This is an entire um, generation that is looking for values-driven work or something that's aligned to their, their core values. And so they're not going to sort of suffer blindly um, for a paycheck the same way that millennials, Gen Xers, and boomers are. They want di- they want something different. So really acknowledging that and sort of addressing that, I think, up front, being really clear, this is what our company's mission, vision, and values are. Like, does that work for you? I think is a really good interview question. I also think it, it's a really clear structure because of how vocal and how frequent Gen Z tends to be about talking about their Mental health problems, their feelings, their what's happening within their experience, as I like to say, these sort of process things that are happening to them. Having really clear expectations and boundaries can really prevent managers from another pitfall that I see, which is falling into the the sort of therapist manager role, um, which is to over index, to over validate, to over like have a over um, over sort of index on a on a personal connection. Now, of course, we all want to be personally connected to our employees, and we all, but We need to keep the focus on the job and the work and the expected work product and not necessarily the emotional reaction to the work product that the employee is having. So I think clear expectations, clear processes, clear um, expected norms are really important to contain Gen Z and to make them feel successful. Now, this becomes that much harder when we talk about remote work. And I want to say I'm a
1: supporter of remote work. I think it generally works. However, there are cases when it doesn't and some you need some support for younger workers. What's your view on this?
0: Um, I think it's actually, it, you know, it's interesting. My My view might be a little bit naive. My entire company is distributed and I have 70% Gen Z and it works just fine. And again, I think that's because... We are, do a couple of things very differently. We make sure that we are meeting more frequently and consistently than if we were necessarily in the office, right, when you're in the office, Everyone talks about you get you lose the water cooler connection. You sort of lose the psychological safety that can be developed by just hanging out with someone in the hallway for five minutes between calls. And so meeting more frequently and consistently is something that I actually find is um, very necessary dealing with a, a remote Gen Z workforce, making sure they know that you're there. You're there. You're getting frequent touch points. The other sort of flip side of the coin that this really provides... Uh, for Gen Z employees especially, is a little bit of a model for how to communicate effectively. Now, this is another sort of what I would call lagging skill with Gen Z coming into the workforce. They are a digital generation that is entirely dependent on communicating through short form, right? Through text messages, through, you know, a lot of Gen Z doesn't even know how to write a formal email. It's funny, because my mom sends her text messages, dear Sarah, and then signs them love mom, Gen Z doesn't write an email that says, I need this thing. (laughs) So there is sort of a level of like traditional corporate communication bridge that needs to happen. And when you meet with your team and sort of can scaffold them around communication, it can be very helpful to um, to help teach them and model sort of that best practice communication as well. The other thing that meeting in person does, or not meeting in person, but meeting over Zoom does, meeting face-to-face, is it actually reduces the miscommunications that can happen in some of those short form contents, right? So slacks can be very easily misunderstood. Text messages can be very easily misunderstood. And, um, and because those, Um, Short form communications are not necessarily dictated or bound by typical hierarchical constraints that we're sort of used to following within a corporate setting. They can be really informal. Misinformation can happen. Misunderstandings can happen. Feelings can get hurt. So just jumping on a call with your Gen Z employees when you're not exactly sure what's going on can be really helpful.
1: Let's get back to the mental health part of this. If you do have a younger worker and they are anxious or they're stressed and it's manifesting itself in whichever way in the workplace, how do you handle this?
0: Yeah. So um, I actually generally tend to do a, uh, make space for it in the room is the first thing again, without falling into that um, sort of pitfall of being a therapist manager. Like that is not, you don't necessarily want that, but to actually, at the beginning of every single meeting I have with every employee, I do a check-in. How are you today? How are you doing? And really listening for the answers. It, that can take the place of like, hey, where's your stress level from zero to ten? Something that I actually might do at the beginning of a therapy session. It's also something I do in team meetings, just to orient and normalize the idea that how your emotional well-being is is probably going to show up in the workplace. Now, I don't make a ton of room to talk or to process what's actually happening. But if I'm talking, if I'm talking to you, Linda, and I say to you at the beginning of our conversation, hey, Linda, where's your stress level today? And you say, oh my gosh, Sarah, it's at a ten. I know that when we move on into the podcast, that, hey, the person I'm talking to is at pretty high stress, and I'm going to actually adapt to that and maybe be a little bit more compassionate to where they are. So it's these subtle sort of check-ins and these sort of making space without attending too much to it that I find are really helpful.
1: And let's remind ourselves why organizations should be supporting people who are stressed, right? That there's an upside to this.
0: Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. I mean, if your employee, this is like what absenteeism is all about, right? Mm -hmm. If your employee is not um, able to demonstrate their full sort of experience at work, they're not going to be able to focus. And oftentimes just showing up at work when you're stressed or you're highly stressed or you're highly anxious that there's something that you're bringing from your personal life into the work if you are compartmentalizing that and shoving it down it's going to peek its way out in different places it's going to show up regardless and so just making a tiny bit of space to acknowledge where your employees mental health is or where they are in the world can be incredibly powerful to bring their awareness to it and to give them the self compassion that you're going to give them too so it also calls their attention to it mindfully um, as well well as, Oh wait, I'm actually, I'm actually at like a 10 today. I I need to be mindful. I need to give myself a little bit of compassion as well. So yes, anytime that we're dealing and interacting, making space for mental health within the workplace, we will absolutely get more productive, more engaged, better employees and better ROI without a doubt.
1: Tell me about your own company wave health. I noticed you are expanding and you have uh, I guess a tech driven way to help people.
0: We are, we actually have a, what's called a stepped care model in the in the medical industry. So we basically want to try to be as efficient for companies as possible. Um, and we wanna make sure we are providing high quality science backed evidence based care. So our kind of ethos is that um, is is we're there for your employee at work, at home or at work. And so our job is to really fundamentally teach employees and teach managers and teach whomever wants to use it, kind of the basic skill set that they need to be resilient, to communicate well, to be mindful, to be aware. um, And so that they can function and thrive both at home and in the workplace. So we use um, an an app that is based on an intervention I designed at Stanford 10 years ago that has been shown to be scientifically effective in reducing uh, anxiety, stress, and depression. And then we also have highly trained um, health and wellness coaches who come in and support those interventions to get people to really be able to learn and apply those skills in real time.
1: Okay. So we have this world, Sarah, that's not getting less stressful. We're not going to solve the environmental crisis in a hurry. And there's geopolitical stress, all kinds of things. Given all that, what do you see when you look forward a few years in the workplace in terms of people's mental health?
0: I think it's a really good question. I think that we, the companies, are going to have to find a way to align their mission and vision and values, um, and demonstrate that and communicate that in a way that may look really different from the 1980s or the 1990s or even the 2000s. Because I think that Gen Z is going to demand it, and making up 30 percent of our workforce, there's going to be a real reckoning, a real sort of shift there. I do actually, though, fundamentally, I feel very hopeful about it. I think that. Um, Access to mental health benefits is a real conversation in the workforce. Every benefits platform that I talk to, it is their number one Um, initiative, which is fantastic, and we know these things are cyclical, but it's a thing that every company really needs to have, I think it'll actually really function beautifully as a recruiting strategy, and it will sort of infiltrate a little bit into company culture. So I think there's a ton we can learn from our quote-unquote entitled Gen Zers and what they're asking for um, as a way to make the workplace healthier for all of us. Okay, that's an optimistic note to leave it on. Thank you so
1: much, Sarah. Dr. Sarah Adler is Clinical Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Stanford University and the CEO and founder of Wave Health. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Sarah and about Wave Life, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did like this discussion about work and the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help people to find us, and it will help us to keep these discussions going. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics production.